Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. So if you grew up in the 80s like I did, or if you've just been alive in the last half century, um, you've probably seen these movies called Back to the Future, right? Yeah, somebody whistled, I'm all afraid now that I'm, I'm speaking code now for, a, for one of the biggest grossing movies of all time that nobody in this room has seen. Um, Back to the Future is interesting, right? Because you have, you have Doc and you have Marty McFly, these two characters, and, and Doc, uh, you know, he, he builds this car out of a DeLorean that's a time machine. And, um, and it's meant to be a, not just a car, but something that can actually travel back to any point in time and in history. And the thing that makes it travel back in history, the thing that gives it the ability to do that is this thing that Doc created for the DeLorean called, you guys know what this is, the flux capacitor. I can't get you guys to quote scripture, but like you'll say <laughs> the flux capacitor back to me. I like that. Um, without the flux capacitor, the car is not a time machine, man. It's just a DeLorean, which is a great car, I guess, um, but it's just another car. It means there's no possibility of going back in time. There's no possibility of going back to the future if you get back in time and there is no flux capacitor, right? But because there is a flux capacitor, and I'm hoping I don't have to keep saying that word, um, everything is possible. So this morning, I'm going to do the least surprising thing a pastor can do on Easter, and that is put our focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what the Apostle Paul calls a matter of first importance. And we can summarize it like this, because Christ has been raised, we can trust that all he says is true. Because Christ has been raised, everything is possible now. Which is why whether he was resurrected or not is vital, it's crucial. It's what Paul says is a matter of first importance. It's not just up there. It's the thing from which everything else hinges on, right? So let me give some context for who Paul was writing to before we dive into 1 Corinthians 15. So he's writing to Greeks and Romans. And here's what we know about the ancient culture of the Greeks and Romans is that they believed that when a person died... They either ceased to exist or they lived some kind of, you know, shadowy existence in the underworld for all eternity. They treated the concept of resurrection like it was kind of a myth or a fairy tale, like it was only something that people that didn't have um, a, a lot of education tended to fall back into uh, believing. So in our passage today, the Apostle Paul makes an argument to the Corinthian church who, by the way, believed the words of Jesus, but struggled with the resurrection because of the cultural tradition that they, uh, that they were coming from. Now, now, that exists for us, right? Now, you might sit here and go, no, man, I, I believe, I'm buying that. I buy the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. But we have to understand that like the cultural traditions that we have that we may not even be aware of might press against some of those beliefs that we would acknowledge that we would intellectually say, no, I, that's true, but yet it's not really affecting how we live in any practical way, right? So look what, look what, uh, look what Paul says here 
in verse 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. And this is what he said. He's kind of making an argument. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Then he says in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So what Paul is saying here is that if there is no resurrection, Christ is dead. Preaching is in vain. Faith is futile. Hope is false. Happy Easter, right? There is no happy Easter. Easter if there is no resurrection. Well, there is no Easter if there is no resurrection. We are all just playing half dress up right now because that's what I pointed out in the beginning of the service. That's what we do here at the church. But that's what's going on right now. We're just going through some ritual that means absolutely nothing if there is no resurrection. Paul's making the argument that if you claim to believe the truth about Jesus but refuse to believe in the resurrection, there really is no Christianity. And he lays out what I just told you very cheerily, four problems we have if there's no resurrection. The first one is this, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is still dead. Since we're only nine months away from Christmas, I thought I'd use a line from Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, which begins with this line, if you've ever read the book or watched one of the 94 versions of the movie. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. That's how Dickens starts one of the most famous books and stories of all time. So we can doubt a lot of things in this world and we carry our doubts with us, but nobody, nobody, ain't none of y'all has any doubts about death, right? Death is the universal indicator that every person who ever lived is human, right? I mean, there can be a hundred things that make us distinct from one another in this room, right? Our ethnicity, our financial situation, our sports preferences, the kind of food we like, our giftings, our talents, our moods, our personalities, our strengths, our weaknesses. But the one thing that we all have in common is that none of us possess the power to conquer death. It's the equalizer, the death rate, one per person. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is still dead like we will be someday. I ran across these, uh, these home movies on, on YouTube recently of all these Hollywood stars from uh, 1965 hanging out in the backyard of some posh, I don't know, beach house in Malibu. Some of you are like, I knew that's what he did all this time, right? 
But it struck me that like 55 years later, none of these like golden greats of Hollywood, these larger than life stars are still living. And so, so rich, so wealthy, so talented, so famous, so gone. I mean, their movies might continue to entertain us, but none of them are breathing air with us right now. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is just like Natalie Wood. He's just like James Dean, a famous historical figure who died a tragic death and departed the earth way before his time. I mean, I like James Dean movies. I just watched one the other day, all three of them, by the way. But to put my trust in that dude to remove my guilt, to cleanse me from unrighteousness would be preposterous. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is like us in that when he dies, he remains dead. Secondly, if there's no resurrection, then preaching is in vain. It means all the words, all the sermons you hear preached Sunday after Sunday have been a colossal waste of time unless you just like getting half dressed up every week. And don't worry, you're not as sad as I am because I spent a lot more time preparing these sermons than you have listening to them, just to keep it fair, right? The good news is not good news if there is no life after death. There's really nothing to say, right? Preaching will be good suggestions. It'll be good advice. It'll be inspirational stories. It'll be positive thinking, and barely that, because what positive motivation could you possibly have for listening to anything that comes out of this book by a man who, listen, claimed he would rise from the dead, but was claimed by death instead? I can choose to listen to his words, but what good are they going to do me in the end? How trustworthy are they Really, this is what Paul's trying to point out. I certainly don't need some dude telling me every week to obey these words. Isaiah 52.7, the Old Testament prophet says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. How is any of that true? What do I have for you other than beautiful feet? Which aren't really that beautiful because what I'm coming to proclaim to you and to publish for you is not good news. Because if there's no resurrection, there's no salvation. The third thing is that Paul says our faith is futile. So if our preaching is vain because Christ is still dead, it means the faith that you hold to is futile because you're embracing a belief in a person who lied about his ability to defeat death. And then you know what I am as a preacher? I'm just misrepresenting. I'm just saying something about someone who said something about himself that's not true. Just who or what are you believing in? Remember the movie Titanic? with Leo DiCaprio, if you know him, you call him Leo, um, Kate Winslet. The Titanic was thought to be unsinkable, which by the way, that story's a true story, not the part about Leonardo DiCaprio, right? But 
The Titanic was thought to be unsinkable until what happened? It sunk, right? Imagine standing on the deck of the Titanic with the water coming up to your neck and saying, don't panic, everybody. I still believe it's not going to sink. You might say, I mean, that's admirable, but you would ultimately think that person was delusional because they were placing their faith in something that was proving to be faulty, right? Here's another example if that one doesn't connect. We have a super fancy 2014 Ford Escape, all right? I'm not trying to brag, um, but don't be jealous because I am describing the least impressive car in the history of automobiles to you right now, right? But when we got this car, nobody from the Ford dealer said, hey, and by the way, you know what you're getting with this car? You know what comes part of the guarantee? The thing will never break down. The thing will never break down once in you. The only thing you gotta do is put some gas in this thing and it's gonna run forever. The thing has not ran forever. The thing has not ran forever, right? For us to have put our faith in that Ford Escape to do what is impossible for it to do would be crazy. It would be insanity. And I only say this because our Ford has broken down and we don't have any faith in it whatsoever, just so you know. Paul is saying to put your faith in someone who couldn't back his claims to do what he said he could do is futile. It's futile. And then fourth, he says then, your hope is false. It's a false hope. If this is true about your faith, then you actually have a false hope. Because to believe in a Jesus that only existed as a man and not as the Son of God with the power over life and death would cause a rational person to ask, who am I hoping in exactly? Now, we can place our hope in a lot of things that we know are going to break, right? So every time I get in that Ford, you know, I push the start button kind of hoping that that thing's going to start. Sometimes it does, right? So it's okay to hope in things that we know are going to break or have the potential to break. It's still right for us to hope in them. I still hope in my wife. My wife still hopes in me. I also know that my wife is going to disappoint me. I also know that I'm going to disappoint her. But we still place our hope in each other with the understanding that there's limitations. I promise to love and obey, not to save her from her sins. If she's trusting in me to be her savior, oh brother, she has no hope. Here's the thing with that, is Jesus said crazy things. Jesus didn't just say like, hey man, if you hang with me, things will be a little bit better and we'll see how things work out in the end. He didn't say like, you're upping your average if you just sort of stick with me. That's not what he was saying. He said things like in John 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Or in John eleven twenty five, 25, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Like my Ford dealer didn't make those claims. I didn't promise Melissa that if she married me, this was one of the perks. 
It's because Jesus said we would have life after death that we put our faith in him in this life and have hope in him after death. Paul is saying if there is no resurrection, then who is Jesus? But another famous historical teacher, philosopher, nice guy who had some great tips on stuff, who had some nice advice about some things, who kind of encouraged us to treat our neighbors with respect, had some nice stories about prodigal sons and good Samaritans, some good things, maybe, but all subjective. Ultimately, he's just another guru on the level of Gandhi, who also had some magic tricks up his sleeve, like healing the sick and casting out demons. You know, I saw this interview a few weeks ago with Matthew McConaughey, and he said something, something like this in the realm of, I, I like the Bible, he said, and I, and I like the teachings of Jesus, but I don't know what to do with all the magic. That's how he described it. I don't know what to do with all the magic, he said. The problem is if we're reading 1 Corinthians 15 and we're hearing what Paul is trying to tell us about this person named Jesus who rose from the dead, the, the, the problem is that if we throw out the supernatural nature of Jesus, which by the way is that he is not bound by the laws of nature like we are. Why? Because he created those laws. Then we lose his power and we lose his authority over all of creation. So Matthew McGonaghy, I, I get, we kind of look at Matt and we go, again, if you know him, you call him Matt. Um, but, but we look at him and we go, oh, isn't it awesome that he likes the teachings of Jesus? But who cares about the teachings of Jesus if we deny that he was raised from the dead on the third day. This is a man who said, I am God. If you have seen the Father, you've seen me. If there is no resurrection, then the words of Jesus become subjective at best and verging, by the way, on lunacy at worst. Tim Keller made this comment. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If there is a resurrection, then it means we have the world of possibilities that scripture speaks in to our lives about. If there is a resurrection, look at what Paul says when we go back to verse 1 of chapter 15. He said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Listen to this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 
Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. If there is a resurrection, it means Christ was dead. It means Christ was buried. It means Christ was resurrected. It means Christ is alive. Man, that's the happy Easter right there for us. Paul says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel that I preach to you. So he's not just saying, like, take my word for it. Paul grounds his argument for the resurrection in scripture and in history. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter, to James, to Paul, the other 12 apostles, to more than 500 others that were able to give witness to what they saw. Not only that, but after Jesus ascends to heaven, thousands of people become martyrs because of their faith in a resurrected Jesus. A church planting movement begins that has resulted in millions who have confessed their faith in a resurrected Jesus that continues to this day with this very church. We're just a continuation of what was going on in the book of Acts. This is why if there is a resurrection, it is a matter of first importance. And so as a church, we hold that as true. If Jesus has been raised, everything else is true, and everything that Scripture speaks to is possible. So this is why Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church, because they had trouble believing just like we do. And this is what he says to them to encourage them. He says, hey, stand in it. Stand in these words of truth that have been preached to you. Stand in the hope of the good news of the gospel. If Christ is raised, then everything he said can be relied upon. Every promise he made will come true. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life with me. Jesus said, I will never leave or forsake you. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. He understands our weaknesses. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He beckons us to come to him. He loves us with a steadfast and an everlasting love. He will protect you from the lies of the evil one who seeks to twist his words and condemn your heart. Anchor yourself in the resurrected Jesus. Stand in the hope of the promise of the gospel. Man, we went, we went out to uh, East Coast last year, last summer. Spent some time with some friends uh, at the beach. And uh, they had a boat, which I knew was going to be my first problem 
when we arrived. Man, I get seasick standing in the shallow end of a swimming pool, right? So we thought taking a boat out into the ocean would be a great idea uh, for me. Um, it, it wasn't. It turned out to be one of the worst ideas um, I've ever had. I'm on this boat, everybody's snorkeling, having a great time, and I'm on this thing and it's rocking. And let's just say that I was not having a great time, right? But it was cool because we only stayed out there about four hours. And um, all my begging and pleading to get back to shore, you know, didn't fell on deaf ears. So we finally get back to shore and I finally get off that boat. I finally stand on solid ground. And man, it was like in one minute, all of that queasiness and that nausea went away. I'm kidding, it took like two days. I was jacked up for like two days after that. But I needed to stand on solid ground so that I had the opportunity to know that the thing that was hindering me would be relieved. The pain that I was feeling would be relieved. Paul is saying stand in the hope of the gospel that leads us to a resurrected Jesus. He said, stand in it. And then he says, secondly, hold fast to it. You know, sometimes when Melissa and I will walk into the ocean together and it's kind of choppy, she likes to hold my hand to, to keep her steady, right? We're standing on solid ground in some ways, but the waves are crashing into us. Paul is saying, because there's a resurrection, because we have a resurrected Jesus, we want to hold fast to it. So hold fast to the resurrection. And by the way, not just the resurrection, but the Jesus who has been resurrected. Hold on to him. Hold on to him for dear life. Hold on to him like a, like a kid holds the hand of a parent who, by the way, doesn't realize that they're the ones being held on to. A resurrected Jesus has the power to never let you go. John 10, 28, one of the promises of Jesus, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So we're one of these churches that believes that once Jesus Christ has saved you, you are saved. The Holy Spirit is not ping-ponging in and out of your heart because you have a good day or a bad day or you say something wrong or you, like, you, you make some claims about Jesus that maybe aren't true or that Jesus is having a bad day. No, no, no. When Jesus saves a person, when he chooses a person, when he pulls a person out of the pit where they were lying dead and he gives them new life because of the resurrection, you are secure. You are saved. I got one amen from David. I should have gotten more. I'll take it. He is not dead. He is alive. And because he is alive, we do not have to be dead for all eternity in our sins. Let your imagination be stirred when you consider the lifeless body of Jesus coming alive in that tomb because it was a physical thing that happened as well as a spiritual thing. Let it stir your imagination, his body stirring back to life, his heart 
beginning to beat again. His fingers moving. His lungs being able to compress with air. His eyes starting to blink. His limbs stretching out. His taste returning. His ears detecting and hearing things. His mouth opening, smiling. Since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, the sequel to life has been death. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, death has a new sequel. And it's called life. And it's possible because Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for raising Jesus. We thank you that this morning we have been singing and praying and praising a resurrected Jesus, a Jesus who is alive. Lord, would you bolster our faith? Would you bolster our belief in the truth of the resurrection? Would you give us so much hope and comfort today? Because we know that death is not the end for us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, would we walk out of here rejoicing because of the salvation that is ours. Thank you that gra the grave is not our final destination, but we will be raised up like Jesus was raised up. Lord, if there is anybody here that has not received that salvation from you, Lord, we pray that you would convict their hearts. Lord, we pray that they would go before you in repentance over their sin, acknowledging their need for you, the fear that they may carry because of what exists for us, which is death. Lord, you can remove that fear from them once and for all. Lord, I pray that you would do that work. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would soften the hearts of those that have been resistant. And Lord, you would show them that in you there is life eternal. That in you there is life everlasting. So Lord, would you humble us all, Lord, as we leave today, as we remember the great cost of the cross. And we also remember the great joy of the resurrection. Lord, we thank you that this is a real event and that Jesus, you're a real person who was raised for us because you had to be so that we could be raised as the real people that we are. Thank you that in Jesus we have a man who is fully God and fully man so that he could atone for us as God and as our substitute, as a man. That's the truth, Lord. And it's not just words on a page that convinces us. It's not just a preacher speaking too loud for 30 minutes. But Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that opens up our heart to receive and believe and to know this truth and want to be known by you. So do that, Lord. Open our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.